Uh, good morning. <clears throat> Welcome to Buffalo Church. Uh, I just have a few things, a few verses I'd like to give some thoughts on as a way of introduction this morning. Uh, found in the book of Numbers, the 10th chapter. Uh, just to give a little bit of a, a little bit of backstory of this chapter, this is the chapter where the children of Israel are going from, are about to leave from Mount Sinai and travel through the wilderness towards the land of Canaan, the land that the Lord's promised them. And uh, I'd like to specifically read a few verses, starting in verse uh, 29. And it says, And Moses said unto Hobab, the son of Raguel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give to you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. For the Lord has spoken good concerning Israel. And he said unto him, I will not go, but I will depart to mine own land and to my kindred. And Moses said, Leave us not, I pray thee, for as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness, and thou mayest be to us instead of eyes. And it shall be, if thou go with us, yea, it shall be, that what goodness the Lord shall do unto us, the same we will do unto thee. Uh, it never it never gives an exact answer what Hobab says, but I like to think from his silence that he agreed to go with them. Uh, there's different things you can kind of glean from these verses, but something specifically I see here is uh, I almost see a little bit of the church here. We have the uh, children of Israel getting ready to go travel through their wilderness into the promised land that has been promised to them by God. And it would make no difference to them of whether Hobab would go with them or not. Uh, if he decided to go, they still go to the promised land. If he didn't decide to go, they would still be going into the promised land. But uh, I, I like what Moses said to him, says to him, uh, and I don't think he's saying, you know, when he says, you may just be to us instead of I, that he's saying he's going to, you know, lead them because they have, you know, God leading them as a cloud by day and fire by night. But I think what he's saying is that Hobab, you know, maybe he has some skills and he has some knowledge that would help them through their journey into the wilderness. You know, uh, and I think it, it feels kind of very relatable to all of us here because we all have our own skills and knowledge that we have in this world. And we have our own spiritual gifts that we have in this world. And they are not... And Hobab's skills were very beneficial to him, I'm sure, in his life. But here, it was not just beneficial to him, but to everyone, to the children of God. And uh, I know Brother Kevin's spoken on it before about the talents that were given by God. And we're not to hide those and just use them for ourselves. We're to use them to help each other and to build one another up. And uh, I, I, I feel like that's a little bit of what I can you know, glean from this just few little verses here. Uh, and just like Hobab, I, I can completely understand when he says in verse 30, I will not go, but I will depart to mine own land and to my kindred. Uh, this world, the things that we see, is it's very easy to tempt us and to lead us off from things that we, can't, we haven't seen yet. Uh, so it's very understandable in Hobab, despite everything he had seen. He's like, you know, I think I'm tired. We've journeyed a long way. I think I'm just going to go back to what I'm comfortable with, to what I know I have back home. And I think, you know, a lot of times we get like that ourselves. We get, we get tired and we like to go back to, you know, just what's comfortable because this world is very, very comfortable to us because of our flesh. But if, 
But Hobab wouldn't be going through the wilderness alone, just like we don't go through the wilderness alone. We have all of us together here that can help each other out and build one another up. I'd like to go to a passage in 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 21. I'm, I'm, I do not have the gift of just memorizing scriptures and quoting it verbatim. I do have to read it. In verse, uh, yeah, I'll start in verse 13. It says, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where, were, where would be the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where would the smelling? But now God hath set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of thee. Nay, much more, those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. Uh, we, we, we all have different gifts and different skills that we have in this world that can, we can use to help each other and build each other up. And I think that's what Paul is saying there, is that you know, as a part of the church, we're a body, right. but we're not all, we're not all preachers. We're not, we're not all singers. We're not a... We all have our own gifts, though. We have our own talents and skills in this world. Just like uh, when we were getting ready for the meeting, I remember uh, Brother Russell was uh, trying to fix one of the legs and the benches, and he asked me to go get some toothpicks. And I remember thinking, what in the world? What do you want toothpicks for? So I went and got him some toothpicks, and he put the toothpicks into the hole where the screw went, broke it off, and screwed right in. And I had never heard that before. I'd never seen that before. And I thought that was so cool. Uh, so you know, just like that, we all we all have gone through trials and things in this world that can be of a blessing to other members here. Can be of a blessing to each other. Uh, and I pray that I can be of a blessing to you, and that I pray you all be a blessing to me. And I pray that you know we've we've come here today with that same mentality to uh, learn and to build one another up. And I, I just want one more thing I thought was interesting here was that. The word Hobab, it means beloved. And I thought that was so awesome because, you know, several places in the New Testament, that is how brothers and sisters refer to one another as brethren beloved or beloved brethren. So uh, that's my thoughts I have on that this morning. If you would, we'll go to the Lord now in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you May you please bless us, Lord, as we have come here today, Lord. We pray that we have come here today, Lord, that we'll be pleasing unto you. We pray that you would be with, with Kevin, Lord, as he comes up here today, Lord. That you would open our hearts and our minds to receive the things spoken here today, Lord. We ask all these favors in your most holy and your most precious name. Amen. Amen. appreciate so much the words that have gone before and, and certainly uh, 
enjoyed the the thought and idea again that comes to me from time to time of the of the church that extends from the head and Christ is the head of the church. Um, the head of Buffalo Church is Jesus Christ. It's not your preacher. Uh, I am I'm merely a member of the of the church, a a, a gift uh, that that Paul says that when Christ ascended. On high, he gave gifts unto men. And the preaching is a gift to, to the church. And preachers are gifts to the church. But they are not the church. The church don't belong to them. The building don't belong to them. Uh, this building belongs to all of us. This church is ours. And every one of you who is a member of Buffalo Church are equally as important uh, with, your, with your talents. And I appreciate Brother Cole's words this morning. Uh, and can you imagine if one of your eyes were out and you just you could see out of one eye or you were blind in both eyes? How much would you miss those parts of your body? And so the church misses when, when the parts of the body are not here. Uh, the, each part is important to the, to the glory of God, to the head, to Christ Jesus, from whence all blessings flow. And uh, you know, just like your head controls your body, you get that from your brain. Your brain tells your feet how to go, how, your hands how to work. Could you imagine if, if, uh, if your feet went, if your right leg went this way and your left one went this way, how confused you would be? But the Lord directs the body uh, from, his, from the spiritual sense uh, to walk together, to build together, to worship together. Uh, it's, 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 it's vital and important and a, a very good lesson. I appreciate it. Uh, Brother Cole's good studies in the Word of God. It's it's evident that that uh, certainly he is uh, spending time with the Scriptures, and that is a good place for all of us to be. Uh, the the uh, topic on my mind this morning, I'll go ahead and tell you, uh, and I had already decided this before. I just can't do it in one sermon, and and I have I've, uh, there there's no way that I'm going to to be able to. Uh, to bring you all this in one discourse today, so be relieved in that sense. <laughs> you know, this is not going to be a two-hour discourse. Um, so it will be there if, if God willing, there will be a part two next Sunday if these things are still on my mind. But uh, I think this is a extremely important uh, subject that uh, we can we can learn a lot from, and uh, and certainly the the lessons that that God gives in the in the scriptures uh, for. You know, and brother, brother Tim Montgomery mentioned this on a couple of occasions that when he, he talked about the, the prophets writing through the Holy Ghost, you know, holy men by the, by the will of God spake. He says, and these things they said not for themselves, but unto us. Unto us, they wrote these things. So when we read Old Testament scriptures, hey, this, this is for us. That, and, and we're on this side of Calvary. He mentioned that a couple of times, and what a blessing. It is for us to live on this side of Calvary. And not on the other side. But on the other side, because we're on this side, we can, we can glean a whole lot more than what they could see because they wrote them for us. That, that is amazing to me how God provided the New Testament kingdom, the church, in the gospel dispensation, the writings of the Old Testament that was meant for them. Uh, because when Christ came and there would be a, as, as Isaiah says, there would be the removing of the veil from off the face of the earth. You know what a veil does? It covers. So when God simply, under the New Testament, removed the covering 
so that the children of God can see into heaven clearly and they can see the Lord Jesus Christ. They can see everything that God has done and they can relate them to Old Testament scriptures that are meaningful today. It is not an outdated book. It it will never be outdated. Uh, It's not uh, archaic and it isn't old-fashioned. Uh, It does not to be improved. It is perfect just like it is because God's a perfect God. His Word is perfect. So in the 25th chapter of the book of Exodus, we're going to deal with the the Ark of the Covenant, a very important piece that God specifically tells Moses down to the very dimensions and and what the the, uh, Ark is to be made out of Uh, what it's to look like and what it is to be for. And it is properly called in the Scriptures uh, several different times by a few different names, but each one uh, is uh, is right. It is called the Ark of God. It is called the Ark of the Covenant. It is called the Ark of the Testimony. So if God's got a testimony uh, and under the law, so I want, I'm going to go ahead and give you a spoiler alert, okay? You know, nobody wants to hear that when they watch a movie. The first thing you do, you don't want to tell the ending of the movie. Uh, but this is, a, uh, this is going to be necessary to, to give you a spoiler alert. Uh, so the alert is this. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant is a type of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at it, we're going to look at it in, two, in, 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 in several different ways over the next two Sundays. Uh, the first, the first way I want to look at it uh, is is its makeup and exactly why God would tell Israel to use a a, a ark or a box. It is a box. It's a, it's like a rectangle. All right, but in, but in the box are important items. That's next Sunday sermon. <clears throat> but what the box is made of, and and what God says concerning the testimony of this ark. And what God will do with this ark. How important this ark was to the children of Israel under the law. Is, is, uh, it cannot be undermined uh, at all, nor are, are, are discredited. And you'll see how they valued this to such a degree that I wish the Lord's people on this side of Calvary would, would value the the anti, or not the not the picture. This is a picture of Christ, but Christ is the real thing. And uh, I hope to see and to show you that how important God's Son and God's testimony that is in His Son is by showing you concerning the Ark of the Covenant. So in the 25th chapter of the book of Exodus, as Moses is in the mount, one of the uh, one of the you know, the, the times Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights, two different occasions up there. Uh, and, and here he is in the mountain, and God is telling him. In the 10th verse, And they shall make an ark of shittim wood. comes from the shida tree. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof. And then, listen, God is giving him specific dimensions but also specific material. Specific material and specific dimensions that the ark is to be made of. He says, Thou shalt make it uh, two cubits and a half in its length, a cubit and a half in the breadth, and a cubit and a half in the height. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, 
within and without, thou shalt overlay it, and thou shalt make a crown of gold round about it. I'm going to stop there for just a minute. In the in understanding the glory of this, because there is a glory in this ark. And the glory of the ark, and you're going, we're going to read in a little bit, was the fact that God said, you do it just like this. And I am going to come down and meet you here and commune with you here. Nowhere else, God says, this is the place that I'm going to commune with you and meet with you, and this is going to be put in a particular place in the tabernacle that would later be put in, the, in Solomon's temple. So the, the, uh, the things, the material that the Ark of the Covenant was made out of, the Ark of the Testimony, and that word just means witness. It is a witness of something, of a covenant God has made with Israel, with natural Israel in this case, which is a picture of God's covenant with spiritual Israel. Right? I mean, they, does He make a covenant with spiritual Israel? Yes, He does. When did He make it? Long before you and I were ever on this earth, before the world was even formed. So, so, the, uh, so to understand how, how Christ was the witness of God's covenant, the fulfiller of it. Uh, let's understand exactly the picture first, and then, we'll, then we can see the, the, uh, the real thing. So the first thing God says is you take shidom wood from a shida tree, that's going to be one material that makes up this ark. Now, <clears throat> that, that type of wood... Uh, when, uh, when, when, when you would, you would cut that tree, and the, and the, uh, and the, and the wood would be plain, it would start out a yellow tint, kind of like what Brother Carlos's shirt looks like right there, or, or Bryce's, something that has a yellow tint to it, almost to look like a light, you know, almost like a shining light. It has that kind of tint to it. When you pull the bark and the, and the, and the exposure. To the uh, to the elements now uh, come upon this uh, this wood. It, it looks like a it looks like a shining light. It was yellowish. God does things on purpose. This is not anything that that is uh, <laughs> that I'm making up. Uh, God gives it a specific type of wood. Could He have made it a cedar? Yes, if He wanted to. There was plenty of the cedars of Lebanon. Could He have made it of the myrtle tree? Yes, He could have. But God said, "You make it of." of uh, shidom wood because it's going to look like light, first of all. And then, then after it ages, it becomes an ebony look. It is dark, about like Ginger's shirt. Uh, so, so the Son of God, who indeed was the light of the world in His human flesh, and that's what this represents, by the way. The wood represents the human flesh of Christ. Because he truly and really was a man. But his flesh was not like any other flesh. Uh, his flesh was not like yours and mine. It, now it was in the sense of, its, of, uh, of, uh, of the makeup. The only exception is Christ was perfect, holy, harmless, undefiled, without sin. 
Now, this, this type of wood right here, there was nothing any more durable. There was nothing that was any harder. And yes, it was lightweight. It was easy to carry because these things had to be carried. This ark had to be carried. Wherever the, wherever the tabernacle went, the ark went with it. That's how important this piece was to the Israelites uh, under the law of God. This ark of the testimony was important. It was a light wood because it's going to be overlaid with gold. There's going to be two materials to make up this thing. One's going to be wood. The other's going to be gold. Now, the, the wood was, was yellow, turned black. Now, the Son of God was the light of the world from the time that He was born on this earth, from the time that He was conceived in the womb, as the angel uh, uh, told Mary, that which is conceived of thee is of the Holy Ghost. That holy thing in thee is of the Holy Ghost. So that, so that Mary, when she was conceived without a man, that the Holy Ghost simply enveloped one of the eggs of Mary, and so that she became expecting the Son of God. That Jesus Christ, while He was conceived as that little embryo starts out, was truly God and flesh at that point. Uh, one of the one of my, uh, my my children can attest to this. They and, and they'll <clears throat> they get frustrated every Christmas because <laughs> Daddy starts playing Christmas songs early, <laughs> and uh, that's one of my favorite things to do. I I, I hit the uh, you know, I start getting my, my our, our little playlist that we have on our Pandora. It's it's early in the Christmas season, and they they wear they're worn out. By the time I get, by the time Christmas gets here, other than Natalie, I think Natalie enjoys them much as me. But Kennedy won't hurt listen to me anymore. I wore her out uh, on uh, on Christmas music. But there is a Christmas song that uh, <clears throat> that that there's a lyric in it. Uh, one of my favorite Christmas songs, especially concerning Jesus Christ. So uh, it is Mary. Did you know? And one of the lyrics in there says, uh, "Did you know?" Uh, that your son has walked where angels trod. And when you kiss your little baby, you have kissed the face of God. And that's a good lyric. Because that's what this shows. This is true. When Mary held that little baby, she was holding God. Uh, that, that, and that, that is a hard thing for us to wrap our heads around because we are not that way. But yet, he was truly 100% God and 100% man. He was made up of two different elements. He was made up of deity that he always has been and always will be. He never left his deity behind. He has never ceased to be God. When he became man, he did not cease to be God. He simply took on him the nature of man. And tells uh, in the book of Hebrews concerning that, as his prayer to God, he says, uh, Sacrifice and burnt offerings which were done on this ark of the testimony. Christ says, Thou wouldest have no pleasure, but a body hast thou prepared for me. This body was prepared by God, and it was made up of a certain uh, 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 element that, that was not native to, the, to God Himself, and that's flesh and blood. Flesh and blood. 
Now, the, the, the wood was hard and durable, and you know what? It resisted. It was not subject to decay. God did that on purpose. God did that on purpose. Go to the, go to the uh, 16th Psalm. Let's read some from the 16th Psalm. So the wood would not decay. It's not like it's not like a like a like a like a, a piece of uh, pine that you put out here in the weather, and after a while, you know, there it goes, or or yellow poplar or something like that. <clears throat> so in the 16th Psalm, David says, "I have set the Lord always before me." Now he is speaking as if he is Jesus Christ. All right, I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. Why does God's glory rejoice? My flesh shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell or the grave, neither wilt thou allow or suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. He can't corrupt. It's going to be impossible for the Son of God to decay. One of the Jewish writers write concerning this scripture right here is that the, the, uh, the maggot and the worms will never enter into the body of whoever this is written about, the Messiah. Now, this is before we, were in, we, go, we get in a coffin now, and then we get put in a vault. You know, that keeps things out. This was not the way back then. Alright? Uh, the things of the ground, the worms and the maggots and all that get in these bodies. They decay. They corrupt. There was not one. In fact, that wood that is called Shadam wood there, uh, was completely and totally uh, unable to be t- penetrated by insects. It was hard, durable, would not decay, and the insects could not get to it. And all that was before the Lord even come on this earth. This was written years ago before Jesus Christ was made flesh and dwelt among us. God is a particular God, is He not? He made this out of a particular wood to denote a particular Savior that would come in a particular time to save His particular people from their many sins. Yes, indeed. Now, the fact that it was yellow and like the color light, but it wound up being black, shows that at the end of his life, the Son of God, though hard and durable, though he would not see corruption, and, 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 uh, and, 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 and not one minute after the appointed time that he was affixed to Christ to stay in that grave. And you know, the fourth day, remember what Mary and, uh, and, and, uh, and Martha said concerning Lazarus on the fourth day after he died surely they said to Jesus Christ he stinketh by now this being the fourth day of his death you know not one moment not one minute after the appointed time that was affixed to Christ to be in the grave his body never saw corruption never like yours and I will we're just going to rot you know we're going to decay away but we're not holy you know, our bodies are not holy. Not now. They will be. But not right now. <clears throat> so at the end of Christ's life, though durable, though strong, yet now black. 
bearing the sins of all the family of God, of all of spiritual Israel. And it's worth to note that the Ark of the Covenant did not belong to any other nation but God's chosen. Under the law, the Ark of the Covenant did not belong to any other nation other than God's own chosen nation that He chose for Himself as a nation to deliver them from a bondage, to plant them in a land that He has prepared for them to drive out their enemies in this land, to feed them in this land, to make them rejoice in this land, so that He gets the praise in this land. Now that's not how it worked with Israel. And you know what? That's not how it worked with a lot of spiritual Israelites. Oh, and that is to our shame. That is to our shame that, that it doesn't work like at all. Oh, so so the, he starts out yellow light, light as he was all the way through his life from the time he was conceived. He was the light of the world. Absolutely. At the end, just like the wood turns in ebony, there he is bearing the judgment of God's indignation and wrath for the sin, as if he committed everything that you have ever done that is contrary to God's law. Everything that is con- You know what sin is? Anybody know the definition of sin? The Bible definition is a transgression of God's law. Anytime you've ever done anything that God's law commands, disobeyed your mom and dad, not kept the Sabbath holy, uh, had coveted other things, whether it's money or people or things, events, you're a breaker of God's law. And all the other, the other seven that go along with it. And you know what? If you offend in one point, Paul says, you're guilty of the whole thing. This whole thing falls down upon you and you are guilty as charged. And every one of the Lord's people, the Son of God, and that sinless, spotless nature was as if He were black, bearing what you and I would deserve for all eternity. That's important stuff. And you can see Jesus Christ long before he ever came on this earth. Overlay him with gold. <laughs> and there's, his, there's the perfection. There's his deity. There's his Godhead that he never relinquished. Because it was no ordinary man's going to die. The, it, it, had, it had to be the Son of God. You know, if, if God could have chosen somebody else to die, and he would have been all right with that, and he would have spared his own son. There, there was no sparing of the Son of God for this. He simply was the only suitable individual in heaven and earth that would come down and, and be fit for this work. Now, God would say concerning the Ark of the Covenant, there, and there would be articles or there would be uh, different things that would be placed in here. Again, that's going to be next Sunday's discourse, God willing. <clears throat> but that when you, when you, uh, when you make it, you, you, you put a crown of gold around it. I mean, the, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ wore a crown, did He not? <laughs> he has a crown of glory right now. But that ain't the one they put on Him before He went to Calvary. For yours and my sins, they, 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 they planted a nice little crown of thorns in mockery to this king as if he is really one 
And here they pushed it down on his head so that the thorns pricked the very brow of Christ and, and his head around it, and blood is pouring off of his face. But now the man wears a crown of glory. The Son of God wears the crown of glory. He is exalted above those people. He is exalted above all people, above all names, whether in heaven, whether in earth, or under the earth, says the Apostle Paul. There is not an individual that has ever walked on this earth, that is buried under the earth, that is walking on the earth now, or that is in heaven right now, that bears a greater name than the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He has a crown of gold on his head. He is king, reigning right now in heaven on behalf of his chosen Israel, his spiritual Israel, his elect, his family. Christ is right now in heaven wearing that crown of gold on your and my behalf. What an exalted Savior. What an exalted Savior we have that we get to worship. Now, God says you overlay this within and without. There's not going to be a part of him that's going to be uh, exposed. He's going to be completely covered within with gold. With, uh, and within that, there's the, there's the shining wood. Two different, two different natures make up this man. Two different natures. And then he says, I want you to make a mercy seat. A mercy seat. You know, we, we sing that song sometime uh, from every stormy wind that blows. From every swelling tide of woes, there is a calm, a sure retreat. Tis found where? Beneath the mercy seat. <clears throat> the mercy seat, uh, let's, let's just read it. Okay, the mercy seat, in the 17th verse, Thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Notice there is no wood in the mercy seat. Okay? There's no wood there. Wood is in the ark. Christ. The mercy seat is going to be over the ark, made of pure gold, no wood. It's going to be one work of gold. In other words, they were not going to make two cherubims. Uh, and the cherubims uh, uh, were said that their wings were supposed to stretch upward as if to heaven. One of them would be on one end of the mercy seat. The other one would be on the other end of the mercy seat. They would face each other with their wings upward. And they would be of one pure beaten work. They were not to be assembled. No assembly required. Alright? No assembly required. <clears throat> it's going to fit perfectly on top of the mercy seat. On top of the Ark of the Covenant. Which is made up of two different materials. Which is Christ Jesus. These two cherubims that are made of one work that are never have uh, never have uh, or not made of anything other than pure gold shows us something vital it shows the father and the spirit all three of these combined into one unit called the ark of the testimony they are above the Son of God. They overlook the Son of God. They approve of the Son of God. The one, uh, God the Father, uh, <clears throat> sends the Son of God. He sends the Son of God 
to, to, uh, uh, to appease His own wrath. The other, the God the Spirit, who is as much an equal as God the Father and God the Son, faces God the Father in approval of the work of Christ, thereby applying that work to the hearts of every elect child of grace so as to, re, uh, to, to give them a new birth, to impute in them a righteousness that comes from the work that's going on underneath them by the Son of God, which is bearing the sins of His people. And yet, you know, they, they never were. These two deities, or this deity, this God the Spirit and God the Father, that is, make up one Godhead with God the Son, did not take on them the nature of man. Only one did. Only one. And you know, people got to look at Him. <laughs> they got to watch Him. Uh, you know, and, and, and you would think the, it, when the anti-type or the, the real thing and not the picture was on this earth, the, the true ark of the testimony <laughs> walked upon the earth. Well, you would think that the Jews would have been like, wow, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's just like what I remember over in Exodus chapter 25. Here He is. He's saying that, that He is God. And yet there he is, flesh. I can see that in the wood, and I can see that in the gold. Uh, and what he is saying is, is that uh, that he, that he's going to suffer for the sins of his people. Uh, I can see why that uh, he, he's going to have to. He's, he's got to be God, and, and and then the Father's got to be pleased, and then and then the, and then the uh, the Holy Ghost that Jesus keeps talking about that will convict of sins. You know, if anybody's ever truly convicted of sins, it's only because the Spirit of God has convicted them. That is the work of grace in the heart. That is a vital work. That is a testimony, folks, that you're a part of the covenant. And there's a glory in that that God gets. There's a glory in that that God gets. But they missed it. The majority of people still miss it. They miss who Jesus Christ really was and what He really did. It's, it's like a, you know, it's like it just flies over the head. They don't understand, and it, and and when and if they do understand, when they do understand, and if they do understand, they see this Savior totally different than they've ever seen Him before, and that lets you see why the glory of God would come down on the mercy seat and commune with Moses there. I will commune with thee. This is where I will come down and, and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and bring my glory. The glory of God has always been and will always be on the Son of God. Always has been and always will be on the Son of God. Uh... <clears throat> And it is, it is vital to know that the, that the Father and the Spirit are, are a, a completely uh, in agreement, in harmony with the Son. This thing makes up one unit. It is one unit. So God the Father and God the, the, God the uh, Son and God the Spirit, they are one unit. They are one God. There are three that bear record in heaven. 
God the Father, the Word, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and these three are one. Try to explain that to me. If you can, I would like to know it a little deeper. I cannot wrap my head around it. It is a great mystery, Paul said. Godliness is a great mystery, but it is without controversy. It should never be a controversy in the church that these three are separate entities, that these three have different minds and ideas, the ones wanting to do one thing, the other do the other thing, and the other one's hoping that one can accomplish something so he can do something, uh, that, and, that, and that, that all three of them are depending on sinners to accomplish their work. That is, that is ridiculous. That all three of these, or at least one of these three, or two, or all three, are, are depending on sinners to comply. That the, that the very covenant of grace that is in Christ he is that witness, you know. He is that witness. The witness of God's grace is in Christ. It is in this material, in this, this two material man that is flesh and blood, yet without sin, and truly and properly God. That's the only thing. That is the only thing God glories in. He don't glory in you and I with the exception that you and I are in Christ. He can glory in His work. It's, and you know that you are His work. Isaiah talked about the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ says that, uh, that, he, uh, that His reward is with Him before He went to the cross. Can you imagine that Jesus Christ had His people before He went to the cross? He had them before He was born. His reward is with Him and His work is before Him. It's His work. That's the work God glorified in. That's the work that the, the Spirit of God can, can truly, and for generations, don't, don't you understand that there, was, there is such a, an absolute uh, a trust that God has within Himself that He was going to work this thing out for Himself on behalf of His people that the children of God from the time that Adam came into this world by creation and Eve was made of Adam and all the people after that, that they were born of the Spirit of God. Why, how could they be born of the Spirit of God? Because the Spirit of God knew in an appointed time the Son of God, this Ark of the Covenant, would be in this earth. Just like, just like Job knew. Job understood completely. I know my Redeemer liveth. How, Job? By the Spirit of God in him. I know that my Redeemer lived. Called him a Redeemer. And he shall stand on the earth in the latter day. He shall do it. How did Job know that? You know, how did Job live before this, by the way? Job lived long before Moses did. <clears throat> my Redeemer shall stand on the earth. In the latter days. And we're in the latter days. Since Christ has come, we've been in the latter days. This is it. There is no more dispensation of time. When, when uh, and, and I'm not going to give you this spoiler alert because I hope to preach this sermon uh, in the future. <clears throat> That's a whole different thing that's been on my mind. But this earth is only going to stand as long as the last child of God is born again. That's when the fullness of Christ that filleth all in all is over. 
when the last redeemed vessel of God's eternal mercy. And no wonder it is called a mercy seat. And you, you know what you are considered? Children of mercy. So when, when Paul says things like this, what if God, who is willing to show his wrath, and there is a wrath coming, do not be mistaken, there is a wrath coming. What if God, who is willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, what if he endures, simply refrains, allows, until appointed time? What if he endures? with much long-suffering, the vessels of wrath that are fitted for destruction, appointed to it, can't help thee. That's just who they are. They, they, they go away from Christ. Christ is not in all their thoughts. They love this world, the things of this world. They have no problem with sinning. They have no problem with cursing. With, they have no problem with, with, uh, with any kind of, uh, uh, of sins inward or outward. They just simply have no problem with it. And yet God endures with them. Why? Why does he let it go on? So that he might make known the riches of his glory. Remember, that's all about the glory of God. That he might make known the riches of his glory on those vessels of mercy that God had afore prepared to glory. You know that you've been prepared to glory before time was even formed by being chosen in Christ. Do you understand what kind of Savior you have, what kind of God we serve? This is, y'all, because you understand these things and you are a primitive Baptist. You know, I, I... I can't get anything else out of the Bible when I read it other than God wins. God wins. And the people that God loves, He saves. The people that God loves, He redeems. The people that that were chosen vessels of mercy, He will make His power or His glory known upon them. And when the last one is, it's over. And that's the fullness. And then, my friends, the, we sing the song about the, uh, when, the, when the clouds roll back and the, and, the, and the trump sounds and Jesus Christ comes back. And there He will be in all of the glory that you and I can't see right now or we would die. We just can't see it. But we get to, we get to view it through the eye of faith. We still get to see the glory of Christ in that mercy seat, which is, which is God's descending. That's where He meets us. That's where this thing was put. It was put inside the, the, uh, the tabernacle. And guess what? God says you also make staves. You put four rings in the corner uh, uh, made of gold and of that mercy seat. Four rings of the Ark of the Covenant. You put four rings there. You fasten the mercy seat right on top. And you put these staves through here and you do not take them out. You do not take these staves out. They are to remain intact through the rings of the mercy seat. That way you will take this wherever I lead you to go. 
I mean, I, I see those staves like the gospel. <laughs> the gospel bears up that mercy seat, does it not? <laughs> the gospel, the, the gospel was meant to bear up the mercy seat and the and the ark under it. It was meant to exalt God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and they, and it's meant to be carried with the people who put it on their shoulders. That's you and I. And everything that you do, uh, you are supposed to bear the image of Christ. That's important. That is, that is vital. Uh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to hurry up. I won't get done with this one. <laughs> All right. So so the uh, so the material and the uh, and the mercy seat. All of this represents. The, the fullness of God's salvation for His people, it, it is absolutely uh, a, a, a wonderful type and picture of Christ. Now, it, I'm going to, it, it belongs, God says. When you, when you done with them, then you built the tabernacle and He, he, gave, he gave Moses exact dimensions. Of, of what kind of material the curtains are being made out of, the rods, everything. God tells exact dimensions. If you want to go pull up a good sermon on the, uh, on the garments of Aaron and how they represent Christ, it's called the ephod, E-P-H-O-D. Uh, it is on one of the Primitive Baptist websites. Uh, if, if you listen not too long ago to Brother Harold Hunt's uh, Zoomcast, you know, he does a Zoom now because he don't have a church. Out there anymore that he that uh, they they they've done away with it. Uh, he preached on this, and I heard it from years ago. Excellent on how these things are types of Christ. <clears throat> there was a veil in the tabernacle, and there was inside that veil called the holy place. There was another veil. Inside that second veil was called the most holy place. And only the high priest was allowed one time a year to enter in. And he had to have blood of something. Now, I'm going to, we're going to cover that in greater detail next Sunday. But this Ark of the Covenant belongs in the most holy place. So when, when Christ sets up His gospel church on this earth, you know we don't, we don't see a, a structure built like they did. We don't, we don't have to see that. You know what? I'd rather have the real thing. I'd rather, have the, I'd rather be on this side of Calvary like Brother Tim says. I'd rather see the real thing. Give me the real thing. You know, like a Coca-Cola commercial, the real thing. I want the real thing. Christ is the real thing for His people. And there is an unveiling that, that, and, and a glory that God sets up in His gospel kingdom right here on this earth called the church where you are today. If I thought it was somewhere else, I'd be somewhere else. If I thought that there was another scheme of salvation, if I, if I am somehow another got to be involved with that scheme, that God's, gonna, God's got to accept me with Christ, you know, that, that, that Christ is simply going to, uh, to do His part and then, and then you would do your part. That Christ just reaches down from heaven, 
did not really come down, but just reaches down and asks you to jump and grab his hand and he'll pull you right up. Christ came down all the way into this low ground that we call of sin and sorrow, and that's what it is. To a place that is contrary to who he was. To people who tried to kill him. Uh, to people which he said, the world hates me. He said, do not marvel if it hates you too. It hated me first. So Christ, uh, he, he jumped down into the cesspool, if you will, of sinners and, and corruptible people. You know, you heard, the, the, you heard that old term, when you're going to do something, it's best just to jump in uh, and uh, don't just get your feet wet, just jump on in and get all the way wet. Christ just jumped on in, right? He just came on down at an appointed time, and there he was on this earth, sets up a kingdom. That allows us to see the Ark of the Testimony in a whole different light. The Ark of the Covenant. And then where God sheds His glory. He still sheds it on Christ. And He sheds it in the church. And as, as long as time stands, folks, as long as time stands, the church, the true gospel church, and I think there is a true one. Now I believe that there is God's people everywhere this morning. Most of them have no idea about what I'm talking about. If they heard it, they might get mad. They might get upset. They might, they might there ain't no way in the world that can be right. Christ didn't just save His people. He makes it available for all mankind. You know, it's not an availability type salvation. It is a surety type. I don't have time to go into to, 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 to that. I mean, there is a, you know, we, we, Brother Tim talked about his rabbit trails. They're easy to chase. <clears throat> but that Christ, in the true gospel church, God only glorifies the Son. And when God comes down to the place where the ark is spoken of, Worshipped, sung to, praised, glorified, needed, exalted. Then the children under that are bearing this ark get to witness and view. Just like the Israelites did. They, you know, <laughs> they knew. They were Israelites, right? But you know what God told them? That, that, that how they would know that He would be among them? It's when He came down and visited them. He said, you shall know that I am a God among you. It takes communion. And that's what He told Moses. I will come down and commune with you. To commune is different than saving. That is different than eternal salvation. There is a salvation in God's communing with us. A fellowship, if you will. It's the same word as fellowship, to commune, to fellowship. So John would say this to the, uh, in, the, in his epistle, that, uh, <clears throat> that we write these things unto you, that ye may also have fellowship with us, he says, because our fellowship it was with, is with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, when you said that leads out to spirit, it doesn't. Guess where he's at? He's in you. <laughs> you see, he's already in you. 
There, there, it's, the Trinity is still there. The covenant is still made up. The ark is still full. It has all parts to it. When God condescends and shows His glory to His people and fellowships with us and assures us that we have a part in that covenant. That is vital to your spiritual health. It is vital to, uh, to everything concerning the church. And they knew this. They knew how vital this thing was. It's what went before. God told uh, 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 Joshua, He says, you take the, let the high priest go before and bear the Ark of the Covenant. And when their feet touches the waters of Jordan, they are to sit still. And when this ark that was borne upon the, the shoulders by those staves that were, by the way, they were uh, shadow wood and gold overlaid. Again, I think it's a, a symbolic of the gospel uh, that, that raises up and exalts our Savior properly when it's preached right and, and rightly divided. That's what it does. <clears throat> and that into this kingdom called the church, this thing goes first. The Israelites didn't go across it. They didn't swim across the, the River Jordan and come back and get it or say, we'll get you later. This thing went first. It stopped on this river bank when their feet, when the soles of their feet stopped. God stopped all the flowings of the water and there Jordan dried up. Just dried right up. And Israel took their journey into the land God had promised them. They took their journey. <clears throat> Now, to mishandle this ark is dangerous. We know that the sons of Eli, Hophnei, and Phinehas did wicked, and they were priests, all right? They were, they were the sons of, of the high priest, Eli. They were, so they had the office of the priesthood. They were in the Levitical priesthood. <clears throat> and they did evil in the sight of God. They, they, uh, they simply mishandled the things of Christ, the things of God. Alright, so <clears throat> when, uh, when the Philistines that were the constant enemies to Israel, unless God held them back now, and, and God did, there were times when, when Israel was obedient to God and God holds the enemies back when His children are obedient. If they are disobedient, guess what God does? He simply removes the hand and the, and the people who have a natural dislike for God's children are allowed to naturally dislike them. And that's what happened. The Philistines came as Israel was uh, smitten of them and they just took the ark from the place that God said it was supposed to stay. They didn't ask God. The sons of Eli, Hophnei, and Phinehas took the ark out with no permission, brought it before. The Israelites shouted, as is to say, hey, now we're going to win. That's not what God told them. Then the Philistines took the ark, beat them in a great war, stole the ark of the covenant. Now, the, you know, folks who understood what it really meant were upset. So, uh, first of all, this shows one thing, that the ark does not belong in every land, Right? The ark doesn't belong with all people. Because if that ark belonged with all people, it would have blessed the Philistines when they took it over there. It belongs to the children of God. Christ belongs to His own chosen and foreknown. To His redeemed people. 
That's why David says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom God has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Let them say so. Because the ark made it to the Philistine camp, and there they were rejoicing the fact that they stole this thing from Israel, and they put it over next to their Dagon God, a body of fish with a head and hands. And they placed the ark of the covenant right next to it. And the king came in the next morning, and that dude had done fallen over. <clears throat> he picked him back up, set him upright. The next morning he came in, Dagon had fallen over. His hands were severed, his head was cut off. All that was left to him was a stump. And then immediately, the Lord smote the Philistines. And he sent things in their secret parts that were uncomfortable. And they were absolutely horrified that they had something in their camp that did not belong. And they knew it. So what did they do? They, well, this was in Ash, uh, uh, Ashdod, the city. All right? So all these the people were dying. People were uncomfortable. They were, they were sorely afflicted by God. It matters where the Ark of the Covenant is, by the way. It matters where it stays. It belongs in the kingdom of God and the church. And God's people should not try to take it out. They should not try to take it out. Or they'll cease to be the church. Once the glory's gone, the church ceases to be made. You may have more people. You know, you may build up a big following, but you cease to be the church. And because Christ is what makes it a church. We are the people who make that up. So... They, they, they say, let's take it over uh, to Gath, to the next city. Well, they take this Ark of the Covenant to the next city. And immediately, God starts killing them with disease and smites them with the same type of punishment that He did in Ashdod. Well, you know, word gets out. This is like, I mean, it's not quite as easy as today when you text. But word gets out. These people say, let's get out of the city. It don't belong here. <laughs> there's, there's something about this thing right here we don't like. There's always going to be something about God that the wicked don't like. They just don't like it. So they take it on down to, to uh, uh, I believe it was Escalon. And as they see this Ark of the Covenant coming, they run out and say, no, <laughs> don't bring it here. We already heard what happens. We don't want that in our city. Now, if you take the true God and you put Him out here in this world, that is exactly the response that you're going to get. But if you take a makeup God, if you simply water Him down through flesh and blood, if you simply, uh, uh, you know, make Him like a Santa Claus in heaven, uh, that, that He just loves everything, loves everybody, just okay for you to do this, okay for you to do that, that's the kind of God I want. I don't want the real kind of God because if you bring the real type of God, the real God Himself, into a land that knows Him not, they're going to say, get Him out. And that's what the world does. The world says, get Him out. Uh, and America's no different. You know, there, there's people in America do not want the name of God. Not the real God. Just, just give me a God. Oh, a, a God's okay. But the covenant God? No indeed. And they said, remove Him. Now, the, 
You know, that, that's when that's when the ark was sent out on the on the kind. Y'all remember Brother David Harrison preaching about the kind? There's a cow that had calves. They removed the calves off of them. And so these two mama cows leaving their calves, pulling the ark of the covenant, heads toward the land of Israel. Because the Philistines say, we don't want him. And you know what? He does not belong. He does not belong. Now, when, when Eli, the high priest, and there, and there was a young man who, who ran out of that war and came to Eli, the high priest, who was sitting up on a wall, and he was already blind. He was old and already blind. And he was a heavy man. said he was heavy. Uh, they brought word to Eli. He said, my son, what is the news? He said, your son, Phineas, is dead. Your son, Hophtali, is dead. The Israelites are smitten. And then he said, the Ark of the Covenant is taken. And it says, when Eli heard that the Ark of the Covenant was taken, not when he heard his sons were dead, not when he heard the Israelites were smitten, but when he heard the glory of the Lord was taken, he fell off of that wall break his neck, and he died. And the, son, and the wife of Phineas was expecting a child. If you don't think stress will induce labor in a woman, you need to read this. So, so women, if you, if you are expecting a child uh, and your husband uh, and, and your family, I, I want you to understand Make it as easy on your, on your wife as you can. And, and the children, make it easy. Because excessive stress can induce an early labor. So here she was with child. And it says that when she heard the news, not that her husband was dead or that her father-in-law was now dead, but that the ark of God, that's how important this thing is to God's people, but that the ark of God was taken. It says her pains came upon her immediately and she went into labor by the stress that that brought on. And before she died, and she did, she died giving birth. Before she died, the, the midwife says, you be of good cheer. You have born a man child. Now, I'm glad that I am not named Ichabod. That name literally means, which, you know, this poor guy here for the rest of his life is going to be tied to this event. She said, you name him Ichabod, which literally means the glory of God is departed. Now everybody, from here on out, when this boy grows up, and they, it, there's Ichabod. Oh yeah, I remember what happened then. <laughs> you know, I remember that he, he was the child that, that his mama died giving birth to him, and that's when they stole the Ark of the Covenant. You know, and, and, and that, he wore that all the rest of his life. Ichabod, the glory is departed. Because they knew what this Ark of the Covenant meant. And when God's children in the New Testament church simply do not value the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark itself, the mercy seat on top of God, I'm going to tell you, God the Father and God the, uh, God the Spirit, they look upon us on how we serve God the Son. 
If you don't think God is not in heaven today peering down here at Buffalo Church and other primitive Baptist churches scattered abroad, understand and looking about how we value their work for us. How we exalt their work for us. How we need their work for us to be manifest again that the glory of God comes down. Friends, then we are missing the mark of our discipleship. It is vital to the New Testament church that we simply value this above all things on this earth, above your own life also. So that so the Apostle Paul could say, truly say, now, it's one thing to have a, have a mouth of words, but it's another thing to feel what you say and mean it. The Apostle Paul tells the, uh, Ephesus, uh, at Ephesus uh, the elders as he was leaving, he said, I do not know what is going to befall me other than this, that the Spirit of God testifies that there will be bonds and afflictions abiding me wherever I go. And then he said, But these things move me not, neither do I count my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course. You know what it is to finish something? You've got to start it first. You cannot finish something you have not started. When somebody takes up their cross to be a member of the gospel kingdom, you are starting your true discipleship. But you better finish it. Because God does not take pleasure in fools who forgets to pay Him His vows. Do not defer to pay God what thou owest Him. It is vital for me, for my wife, my family, for you, everybody here that is a member of Buffalo Church, to finish our course. But notice how Paul said, I'm going to finish it. I'm I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be imprisoned. But that's a joy to me. (laughs) That's a joy for, for the Ark of the Covenant's sake, for the glory of God's sake, for Jesus Christ's sake i am willing to do it i am okay with it and when i leave this world i'm not going to leave anything undone that god has called me to do i'm not going to stop my work i'm not going to cease to be i'm not going to give myself i'm not going to take the ark and uh, take him out into the world nor am i going to remove the ark from me i'm going to have christ as my absolute meat and drink because that's the only way you can finish this course once you have relinquished the glory of God and you simply cast him out for the worldly advantages of things it's hard for people to ever get it back I'm not saying it's impossible there is an impossible scripture I could read to you and I think it's a dangerous it is vitally important and extremely dangerous that we handle the word of God correctly in the New Testament church and with joy come before God and, and if somebody says you know it's you know, I, 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 I remembered. I'm, i got to quit. All right. What Brother Tim said, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of God. He did, uh, that's what David said. David didn't say, it's Sunday again. Golly, Bill. I can't believe. I wish I didn't have to go. If that is your case, now I'm not saying that had never been my case. I'm, I'm as flesh and blood as you are, and I, I, I understand I understand flesh and blood. If that is our case, friends, let's, let's take a reevaluation. You need to examine yourself. I need to examine myself to see 
what value this art. And it can't be like we want it to be. In other words, we just can't, we can't do like we want to do and it still be right. God demands it in a certain way to be to a, 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 uh, a glory that He says that is in a certain place on this earth called the kingdom of God that God's children are supposed to do. And He loves the gates of Zion. That's the public worship. More than He does your habitations or the habitation of Jacob. Your private home studies of, of the Word of God are important. Your private prayers... You're, uh, uh, you're sitting in the recliner with your Bible, speaking of the things of God at home. God loves those things. But He says He loves the gates of Zion more. He loves the church. He loves public worship. He loves the place He puts His glory. He loves His Son. He loves Himself. He is love. And He will bless the people of God who will willingly, joyfully, completely finish their course on this earth. And may God give us all the grace, give all of us the grace and all the grace. It takes all grace. And God does give more uh, to do that. And if you do that, friends, you have done the best. You may not have the biggest bank account. You may not be the most popular person. Probably you won't. But you will be doing the best you'll ever do because you will be pleasing Almighty God. May God bless each and every one of you.